Hey, we know you're starting to think about your fall baseball season. So this is part one of two special episodes in which Angel will provide tips on building a fall program that will make 2018 your best season ever. Here we go. Alright, Season 4, Episode 10 of The Fix, featuring pitching motion troubleshooter Angel Borelli. And today we are going to have a very special episode for the coaches. Uh, but before we get into the, the special part of our episode, let's go over a few trending topics. Angel, it's, it's interesting. I keep hearing the same names over and over again. Uh, this time around, I, w- I want to lead off with Felix Hernandez. Uh, King Felix from Seattle, he's been dealing with shoulder issues all year long, and now he's out again with a shoulder problem. I'm not really sure exactly what's going on with that, but it clearly he's he's having some kind of a shoulder problem that is he just can't fix with rest on only. Um, Michael Pineda, your your uh, one of your favorite pitchers from one of your favorite teams of the New York Yankees, he is out for the season. He's getting Tommy John surgery. Now, Pineda is a pitcher who has had a lot of shoulder problems in the past. Uh, I I think he missed all of the 2011 or 2012 season when he first came to the Yankees. He missed the entire season with with major shoulder issues, and now he's having Tommy John surgery. Is that something that you you see often, that a a pitcher has a shoulder problem and and then later has an elbow problem? Oh, well, yeah. And just to correct everything, I, I wouldn't say Pineda is one of my favorite pitchers. I can't remember <laughs> his mechanics. So I don't want to I don't want to go down in history for that. <laughs> but the Yankees, yes, uh, they're my faves no matter what. But um, uh, well, yeah, and we talked about it on previous shows. Remember, the shoulder is the quarterback, the elbow is the wide receiver. And so when the shoulder is off, the elbow has to take more of a beating. Uh, so because it has to work harder and um, the shoulder depending on what type of injury it is it can be a a problem that affects deceleration which means that the shoulder is not properly decelerating so there's extra forces being pushed to the elbow but the shoulder and the elbow are a a coupling of the way they work with acceleration and their mechanics for delivering the ball so they go hand in hand this is why when you go in with an elbow injury the doctor will look at your shoulder strength when you have a shoulder problem we want to get it fixed so it doesn't move into your elbow once you're starting to have symptoms in both places your one thing didn't break down completely but it's already passing on extra stress to the other so I can't stress enough the importance of understanding that these two pieces work together and so that's not an unusual thing and again it speaks to whatever that injury was really getting on top of it to make sure that it didn't it isn't in any way going to weaken another part of the body which in fact it ended up doing yeah i'm going to go on a limb and, and say that after he came back from tommy john surgery there was there were no changes to his mechanics to alleviate mm-hmm. whatever caused the injury in the first place mm-hmm. and i imagine that whatever flaws he had before mm-hmm. now that he had you know had his shoulder fixed the 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 next weakest link was going to be the elbow. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, speaking of pitchers who have some mechanical flaws, uh, Edinson Volquez also is out for the season, having Tommy John surgery. He just had the surgery, in fact. This is his second Tommy John surgery since 2009. And I, I know that you've taken a, a little bit of a look at him here and there over the years, and he's another pitcher who really doesn't have what we would call ideal mechanics and right well what you know the thing about him and i want to everybody who's listening and and you sent me a really great photo so anybody who needs to see this still shot uh to understand what the inverted w is and uh you know we've used that term before it's uh uh the elbow the, the shoulders are internally rotated so much that the elbows are pointing straight up to the sky that is an internal rotation 
issue for the shoulder, which stresses the the shoulder complex. But it also, because the shoulder stressed, it ha- it puts different types of forces around the arm muscles, which feed into the elbow. So again, you're going to have this shoulder elbow relationship. This is an incorrect action for the shoulder joint. This isn't just in pitching. In life, if you get into this position, in fact, I can guarantee you, unless you're a swimmer doing a butterfly stroke, which by the way, the ones that specialize in that have the highest incidence of surgery. Even the butterfly stroke is done in more of a healthy way than this is done in pitching. But you, we do nothing in life where we hunch over and raise our elbows up towards the ceiling. Unless you're portraying a little monster on Halloween or something scary, <laughs> you yeah. don't really do this position. If you are doing this position and you're always doing it at a part of the motion that really is supposed to be uninvasive to the pitcher, you know, the balance and the stride, it gets you downhill to where the party really begins. Well, you're doing all this excessive injurious stuff at the beginning during a nice phase of innocent phase of the motion and everything after that's going to be compromised. This position in and of itself will hurt the shoulder just by being being in it so think about that the guy's going into it over 200 times in a in an outing when he's a starter so it's going to break down and remember every time he throws he's weakening his his tissue is affected then he comes back and does another throw and now he's going into a serious position with an effect with it with tissue that's being affected by the his actual job which is throwing the ball this position never works out for a pitcher pitchers who have this this style end up with injuries and if your child is doing it or any pitcher is doing it you have got to correct this and this is a trunk position issue you don't even have to touch you know his golden arm all you have to do is teach the pitcher not to slump over because you can't do this without slumping and if you do you really are overstretched so so everyone if you don't know what this position is joe or i would be happy to send you this photo but I'm sure you know if you just google inverted W you'll see probably Steven Strasburg from way back and etc etc but this position is not it's okay position when you see a pitcher in it you've got to have concern for him so if he is somebody that you have control over or any input this is something that needs to be changed and again it's actually a simple change they don't have to really do anything differently they just have to stand differently and then what they're doing will end up in a different shape so yes that's my uh that's the take-home message from this it never works out because it's an incorrect anatomical position for the shoulder not it's not a pitching flaw it's an anatomical flaw that a person is bringing into their pitching motion. Okay, and for and for those who aren't sure what the what the inverted W looks like, I will post a link to a picture of that in the show notes. So it's clear that he hasn't changed that because he's been doing that for years, and he mm-hmm. did it before the first Tommy John surgery, and now he, he's mm-hmm. been doing it since. Uh, and it's really a shame. And and just to be clear, there there's no advantage to doing this in the midst of your motion correct no actually it's the way he's coming out of the glove and i'm i just looked at it again he's tilting over with his trunk if he was just straighter up and down his whole his elbows would be pointing down and he would not be so rotated anteriorly um here's the thing he's been doing it his whole life and he did nobody ever told him it wasn't okay and so he doesn't know it's not okay. And so he, when, and when you practice something over and over, it becomes part of your mechanics. But your body starts to adapt to that. But the adaptation that it creates is one that is not good. It's not one of the good adaptations. If you, if you walk around, if you watch little girls or little kids walk, and let's say they walk what we call pigeon-toed, or a little girl sits with their knees knocked, knocked knees, these are incorrect motions for the hip. If that little child continues to walk like that, they'll bring it into their grammar school years and their high school years, and they may even be a teenager that's got this incorrect hip placement, and they end up having ankle injuries 
injuries when they try to play sports, etc. Anything you do every day, your body will adapt to. But that adaptation is one that is forcing itself to work in a strange way. It's just like if you have a, a, a shirt that's a, a medium and you give it to somebody who's extra large to wear, it's going to stretch it out. Now, is the shirt going to still look like a shirt? Yes. Is the shirt going to kind of look normal? Well, it might look normal because you didn't know it went from a medium to an extra large. But is that shirt all stretched out? In our, are the, are the, are the, is the weave of the fibers become, um, you know, weakened? Yes, absolutely. So might the shirt shred in the washer? Absolutely. It's the same thing with your body. Your body is like but your body is sort of like clothes are like your body they have a size to them they have a shape to them and if they get tweaked and pulled in different directions they can become overstretched and then they don't become uh, stabilized and then they start moving around and then they cause problems for other parts of the body so he's having Volquez is having the elbow problem because his shoulder is so stretched out from doing this that his shoulder probably is not decelerating properly because those muscles get stretched out from normal deceleration let alone when you change the structure of the shoulder during the motion and so the deceleration can cause major problems for the elbow and of course the forearm so and the forearms going through a lot of changes too when you position your shoulders incorrectly so uh, yes so it's it's not a good thing and um, uh, it, it like I said it never goes anywhere that's good yeah and it's it's really a shame that that just things like yeah. this just keep happening to the same pictures over and over again they yeah. never get it corrected because it Corrections are possible. Well, because it's what he's been doing his whole life, and, and uh, he, yeah, he didn't know. So, Right. So another pitcher who is having a second surgery uh, is Phil Hughes. Phil Hughes of the Twins last year had thoracic outlet syndrome issues and had surgery. They had, he had part of his rib removed. And this year, while coming back from that surgery, he was suffering the same symptoms as last year and now it has been uh, determined that he needs to go back and have the rest of that rib completely removed I, now i know that this thoracic outlet thing is fairly new i mean i mean not I'm new to major league baseball we've only been seeing it now for the last few years but it seems to be coming more and more re- prevalent and and this is the first time that i think we've heard of a major league pitcher having a second thoracic outlet surgery and it it seems kind of unusual is this something Mm. you've seen before no i know and i remember phil hughes uh joe do you remember i'm thinking i remember he used to play pitch for the Yankees didn't he? yes yes he did and I hated watching him and I'll tell you why I hated watching him if I remember correctly there's a style of pitching that I hate looking at that's hard for me to look at and that's the pitcher that almost stands straight up he like steps out and stands up it's like he doesn't have a stride it's like he doesn't get horizontal did Phil Hughes pitch like that Uh, I'm thinking he did yeah and the problem with that is especially if you're throwing hard at all is you don't have any body parts decelerating anything so it's really problematic for the spine and for the uh, back of the shoulder which is interesting because I don't know anything about the symptoms he ever had for even the first one but it's interesting that he has that style of pitching and it would mostly affect deceleration and he has an injury to his the architecture of his body the basic architecture of his uh, this is a spinal thing affecting a nerve that you know goes through the shoulder so it's interesting to me the possible correlation there but this is an injury that I I'm still not uh, I uh, I don't know I think it's a I, I think it's a third level injury that is caused by other levels of injuries that uh, either were went unnoticed or not uh, you know n- the intervention wasn't soon enough it's just uh, it's yeah there's something about this injury that I still uh, question I'm not questioning that it is what it is when it is what it is but that it's something that is a manifestation of something else that wasn't handled but now the problem has changed and now they're involved in this so this is pretty um, this is pretty serious I mean I do you want to have one of your ribs removed Uh, no absolutely not (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly so anyway that's too bad yeah and you know i i can't remember i think he might have even had tommy john surgery early in his career i'm trying to remember if if 
if he was one of those pitchers that did early in his career. I remember when he first came up with the Yankees, they they just put him on all these crazy pitch limits and innings limits to try and protect him. But you know, as as we've discussed here before, the, all the limits in the world are not going to help the fact that you have dangerous mechanics that are going to cause uh, injuries down the road. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I want to bring up a point that you reminded me of that's important. This is something you just said something about they put pitch limits on. This is one of the things that I hear said most frequently by coaches. You know, I talk to a lot of coaches and, uh, you know, we'll be talking during a practice or something. And they'll they'll say to me, oh, my, this guy is so wild. And we, we, you know, really and truly, we only put him in for one inning and we never know what we're going to get. But, oh, if he's on, but, oh, Angel, you're, you would hate his mechanics. But, oh, boy, can he can he strike out his side if he, he – I mean, the hitters don't even know where it's coming from. But he's – oh, his mechanics are so bad. So we limit how much we put him in because we don't want him to get hurt. Please hear this. <laughs> this is not uh, – okay, he has less risk of being hurt if he's – then if he's in there for 90 some pitches but basically on a relative level he can hurt himself with one pitch if the if there's something that looks so bad that you're worried about him hurting himself then that's the issue you should be looking at to adjust as opposed to adjusting the environment in which you're going to let him do his crazy things. Sort of like my son, when he drives, he drives up on the curb. Oh, okay, let's let him just drive in the parking lot then. <laughs> you know, he's still driving up on the curb right. and he's still going to hurt himself. So it's like we want to make sure we're addressing the right variable. And be careful when you hear yourself saying that. And I know coaches are say that because you're out there to win games. And yes, we do have these pitchers that look crazy, but they get the job done. But especially the younger age, if they look that crazy that you're worried, if you find yourself trying to harness somebody's craziness, I say take a few minutes to deal with that craziness and do it like in, you know, a season when you can afford to work with that. But when you hear yourself say that, I would like to have a few lights go off because I think you can go to another level with that and uh, maybe possibly save that kid. But yeah, it doesn't, it, it, he can hurt himself in the bullpen if he's that bad. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's actually what they did with Phil Hughes at the beginning of his career. And I, I, I don't think he had Tommy John surgery, but I do vaguely remember he had different kinds of shoulder issues and dead arm and this and that. And I, and I remember one of the things they did was they took him out of the rotation and made him a relief pitcher. Again, thinking that that was just going to preserve him somehow one way or another. And it's, it's a, it's a common pattern that we're seeing with a lot of professional pitchers. And, mm-hmm. and but you know at, at the amateur levels I think we need to take control and and get these kids corrected before it's too late um speaking of getting things corrected before it's too late one more one more pitcher I wanted to talk about really quickly Cincinnati Reds pitcher Anthony DiSclafani has been dealing with uh, a, a UCL strain since the spring since March and he was on his way back to getting back to the major leagues when they said he had a forearm injury and forearm tightness, but they're saying it's not serious. And they're saying now he has elbow tendonitis. Now, doesn't it sound like if he had a UCL strain and had forearm discomfort and now is being diagnosed with tendonitis, there might be something going on a little more serious? Well, it's actually all the same thing, uh, and they're calling it three different things because I heard the word UCL strain, and then I heard the word forearm, and then I heard the word elbow. T- Did you say elbow tendonitis? Yeah, that was the latest uh, okay. thing that they've, they've determined. Okay, right. So elbow tendonitis can be f- with the forearm, the muscles that insert into the bones that create the elbow. Uh, they can be referring to that. I think it's dangerous uh, when, and I know you were quoting from something formal, uh, not deemed serious. I think it's dangerous to try to qualitatively, uh, you know, make decisions about injuries. Guys, if a forearm is hurting, it is serious. The UCL is the forearm. 
the elbow is the forearm, the forearm is the elbow. Uh, they are all related, and UCL issues that, you know, tears usually stem. The pitcher will report forearm problems, and the UCL is uh, part of that whole complex. So there, this, this tendency to underplay uh, injuries. Now, I, now, giving everyone respect, we don't know if this is what they're putting in print because the majority of the world doesn't know. And anybody who follows this guy or his parents or whatever, th- what they want to hear is, oh, it's not serious. It's not serious. So, you know, when we see words like that, w- w- what I hope is that they're just saying that to keep everybody calm. But I hope that everybody takes uh, seriously. I mean, if I have a pitcher come to me and one of the first questions I ask is, where do you get sore after you pitch? And if it's any place other than the lat or the rear of the shoulder, you know, and, and of course those with uh, normal recovery time, I I take it as very serious. And especially if he says, and he, he'll point up and down his forearm, will say, oh, sometimes I get tight here and he blows it off. No, that tells me exactly what I need to look for in his motion. And I take it very seriously because it's not supposed to get tight. It's not supposed to get sore. And the reason why it might be is might be the type of pitches. It's putting a lot of stress. Does he have to change his pitch types? No, he just has to know that if he's starting to add a pitch in that puts more stress on the forearm, meaning it's rotating more or differently than it usually does, you give him an exercise to relieve the tension afterwards so that he's not letting anything accumulate. This is never about that something uh, some, that you have to completely change things around. Sometimes you have to add things in and sometimes you have to correct some mechanics, but it's all very serious. And underestimating it, I think, is only done by people who are afraid of what the truth of it might be. Don't be afraid of the truth. The sooner you get to the truth, the more control you have over it. And remember, most everything is fixable. The reason why the body is so insistent upon letting you know that something needs fixing by having little pains and strains is because it wants to be normal. It's always gravitating towards trying to be normal and keeping you in one piece. So the sooner you accomplish going along with that, uh, the better it is. So don't ever be afraid of finding out the truth, even if it's in your best picture. Acknowledge it and go forward and know there's an answer for it. But this not deemed serious, I don't know, especially on a guy who's had a, a formal diagnosed UCL strain. Very, very interesting. Yeah, it's and and again, it it just goes back to you know part of what you said is that we may not know the whole truth because we only get mm-hmm. what they want to tell us. But at the same time, it, it sounds to me like it's just the same pattern that MLB seems to follow, which is the the pitcher gets hurt, we put him we put him on the disabled list, we wait until he comes back. When he comes back, he goes right back to the same motion, re-injures himself. So it's you know the Major League Baseball doesn't necessarily want to uh, believe that there are mechanical issues causing injuries. They don't necessarily want to believe in science. But again, that doesn't mean that the amateur coaches have to take follow that lead. We can be different and we can do something different. And toward that end, Angel, you're going to help us refresh our fall ball programs using science. Yes, I am. So coaches, you know, I am a big fan of all your work. And with what Joe was just saying, we have to get our guys ready, especially your really good pitchers who you know are going to go on to if you're a high school coach going on to college and the college coaches who are the college pitchers that may be getting drafted or playing independently with the hope of getting signed. It's so important that we, especially with the pitchers that you see, and we all know who they are, that they actually have a future. It's so important to, when they're under your wings, to really be do as much as you can to protect them so that as they move along in the ranks, they never fall prey to the business of baseball. And it is a business. And that is why once a pitcher is injured, they just call someone else up. And it's why certain things are done the way they're done. It is a business. And you really want to have the pitcher be in, in a position to be as well prepared as possible. But with that being said, 
aside from that, you all want to have great seasons. And 2018 is around the corner. The window you have in the fall, there's no other window like it. It is not the same as your winter window when you're getting everyone ready for the spring season because everybody's already anticipating the spring. It's right around the corner. People should be involved in their throwing programs, getting ready to take the hill and have a prepared arm. So the winter really isn't, it's called preseason, but it's not like the same as a fall season where in your head you have plenty of time to work things out. So what I want and what I'm going to hope to inspire you to do is to actually, especially since most fall ball seasons don't start for two to three to four weeks, want you to sit down and just maybe take into consideration some of the suggestions I'm going to make to really bring your program current and where maybe you can utilize or implement some things that may be a little bit different so that you know that the the, the sort of the information <clears throat> excuse me the information that's out there that we have scientists have and people who are working in the training business who understand things have that you're actually implementing it and because it's august because you you're you've got so much time you can sit and plan it you can create something and maybe do some things a little bit differently but everything I'm going to suggest will directly affect your spring season because everything I'm going to suggest is in the line of you still having great practices still teaching what you want to teach but also adding some things that will do nothing but improve all of your pitchers. And that's the, ma- the main thing. So the suggestions are, I'm making are to help prepare for a better 2018 season. So one of the things that is, to me, so old school and is the worst thing, and all my pitchers right now, who I have probably six that are heading off to... D1 schools, and if you can believe this, Joe, at these high-level universities where you have scientific minds in the classroom, they're all worried because they have to return and they've got to run. They're all freaking out. I've got to run a mile in this time and that time, whatever. And I'm like, what? And science has been clear about this, and I've been talking about this for years. My thesis in graduate school, which was written in 2000 or 2001, had a whole chapter on this, and we're at 2017. And the research I used for this chapter on running and how pitchers should run, that research was 10 and 15 years old because it's physiology. It's not actually anything new. So If you are going to create a running program for the fall, none of your baseball players should be running endurance. Every time you give an athlete something to do regularly, you're creating adaptation. You're not just, oh, go out and run a mile every day or run the poles for 20 minutes. You are creating an adaptation on the inside of their body. And the direction you're creating in them is one that is the slower version inside the muscle than what you want to have for anybody who has to run to first really fast, run around the bases really fast, or the pitcher who's got to maintain an ability to reproduce power uh, activities. He's got to be really quick to first base, to cover first base. None of your players need endurance running. They all need ATP development. This is a specific cycle and a specific type of energy. So once again, if you are having your players run anything that lasts more than 15 seconds, you are making every one of them less powerful and less fast. So please, and it is so easy to arrange a running program that fits for baseball players. And I've said this before, line line them up at the plate in week one, have them run their butts off to first base. Take their times if you're interested. Week two, have them run from the plate to second base. 
week three have them do and, and time them see how they're doing and you will notice speed and make sure when you're running them between bouts they get full recovery no training of an athlete when he's out of breath if he's a baseball player because then you're then training another type of energy which is still not the high-powered energy that a pitcher needs or even your baseball players so this is something all your players can do they should be running 40s and 60s maybe hundreds to vary it up but be sure that they are uh, recuperating between bouts but do not have them run endurance and by using straightaway running on the field using your football field or if you want to specialize it and for the position players have them running bases you know versions of bases as they're running this makes much more sense don't send them out to run poles back and forth use the actual format that their energy needs to be used in to train them so please do not be so old school this is old 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 school there is no research you cannot produce a fast athlete when you're having them run endurance the body's too smart it puts in slow fibers you're going to reduce your hitters ability to be powerful you're going to reduce your pitchers ability to be powerful in addition to the fact that baseball players are usually not wired to be endurance athletes that's why they're on the baseball field and not running across um, the the long distance programs from the school and it's hard for them to do it because they don't have the engine for it and so you're also putting them in a position to create injury because they fatigue this is why I always say and I said this in my thesis show me a pitcher who likes to run endurance and I'll show you a pitcher who has never come close to his top velocity so they don't go hand in hand so please change your running program around for this year Joe how many times have I talked about this since we've been doing the show yeah, it's been a few times now. And I tell you, I wish yeah. that this knowledge was out 25 years ago when I was playing college baseball, because the one thing I hated more than anything else was the, the we used to run, I think, two miles just, just to get started. And I mm-hmm. hated it. I always, I, I could never understand how, you know, running a mile or two was going to help me be a better baseball player. And, and, and the way it was always described to me was, well, you have to get in shape to play a nine inning game or a double header or whatever. But, uh, you know, from what I understand now, there are ways to get yourself into condition without doing miles and long distance running. Yeah, in fact, you have to be able to have start strength because you're standing around. So the continuous movement. But if you ever want to uh, really believe, put a bunch of pitchers and put them on a track and say, go run a mile and you'll see the ugliest thing you've ever seen put them on the start line and say run a 40 run it as fast as you can give them a break in between you're going to say wow now that fits because it's ugly when you watch baseball players trying to run distance and the ones that are good at it uh, are usually not the fastest in in baseball so please and there's tons of research on this so but you've heard it before maybe now it'll get through so that's why I don't mind repeating things second thing is I know that a lot of you are doing a lot of the programs that are out right now um, for, they say, creating velocity, arm strength, etc. I think, you know, I would be beating my head against a wall if I pretended that you're not doing long toss and types of programs that are that somewhere you've sent someone and they think it sounds good and um, this is what you're doing I would love for everyone to reconsider some of the things that I think are dangerous but we've covered a lot in other programs but I like to deal with reality and since I know that many of you are utilizing programs including long distance throwing for your pitchers I want to educate you a little bit about that if you're going to do that some of the ways to keep your pitchers as safe as possible when they are doing that so long distance throwing because of the fact that we already know that depending on how far you go and if it's anything once you get to 120 you're starting to create more forces around the elbow and shoulder we already know this this is science 
So what this says is, is that when you are utilizing programs that involve long distance throwing, you have to give the pitchers recovery from that just as you do when you give them recovery from a start or from a bullpen. You cannot use long distance throwing as something that you throw in with a pitching day or you have them do when they're in the middle of recovering from pitching. This is why it has problems inherent in it because unless you've got a pitcher and you can really control when he's doing things, you're going to be in trouble and it interferes with recovery. So to all of you who are doing these programs, this is not about don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. It's about if you're going to do it, I want you to see the big picture of it. You know that it has more intensity, it has more forces. Treat it as you would that you are exposing the arm to actually more forces than pitching. So just like if a pitcher has a start, you would not have him the next day start again. Make sure that you are not putting that long distance throwing the day before, the day after pitching, or the day of. Make sure it's done on an in the middle sort of day. And yes, you're going to have to sit down and figure this out. And yes, it will become a little headache. But if you understand that the arm that does that needs to be a fresh arm and that it needs to recover from it. It'll help you plan out when you're going to do that. And trust me, yes, you're going to scratch your head and you're going to go, hmm, because you might have a pitcher who's forfeiting a bullpen. But this is something that is critical. So there's so many programs out there. So if you are doing any of your exotic things, any of the current things that are going on out there that, in my opinion, the most biggest danger about them is the way they're used in a normal program. So if you can start to modulate that, you can actually lower the risk of injury. Now, this same comment goes for weighted balls. Anything you're doing with weighted balls, you have to understand that you are creating tremendous forces and tremendous stresses and in most of the things I see with actions that are kind of strange for the pitcher's arm. Regardless of all that, the part that you can control if you're in love with that, those programs is the recovery. So what does this mean? You do not use weighted balls and then go pitch. You do not do long distance throwing and then go pitch. You have to isolate these programs so that the pitcher has a chance to do them when the arm is fresh, recover from it, and then if you think it's going to help his pitching, you're actually going to enable it to affect its pitching in a better way. What you don't want is for it to affect the pitcher's arm in a deleterious way, which is what happens when you implement this stuff. So I want you to start thinking about the things that you do and understand that the most important thing for a pitcher is that his arm is recovered and fresh no matter what he's doing except if he's playing catch if he plays catch at 60 feet you see him just throwing he's throwing easily he's out there five minutes and he's done okay that's different and we know that historically p pitchers play catch all the time it's when you start going beyond the 60 feet that you are asking his arm to work more so make sure the arm that you're asking to work more is recovered from his prior work and it's not going to interfere with his next thing. Most of the guys out there that want to improve their velocity, when I look at the programs they're doing, they're doing programs that are actually slowing them down because their arm is tired all the time. So coaches, I want you to start to look at your programs that you're using a little bit differently. If you're going to do some of the controversial things, and listen, I, I have always taught you Research what you want to do, and if you think it's the right thing to do, go ahead and do it, but stay open to information. So I'm not trying to talk you out of doing anything, but start to look at it from a different perspective to make sure you're utilizing it correctly. And this brings me to the topic of making sure 
that you don't do things on the day of pitching that can actually hurt a pitcher. And I'm speaking from experience with pitchers telling me, you know, they come and they tell me that, you know, they uh, that their team lifts weights an hour before they go on the field for practice. This is wrong on every level. Research has shown that if you lift weights prior to any activity, I mean, the muscle just hasn't recovered enough, and so you're not going to, especially for for precision skills. So training in the morning, six, seven hours apart, that can actually be okay. Pitchers really shouldn't train before they pitch on that day. So some of them are assigned up for classes. You have to kind of understand. You have to kind of know your pitchers and you have to find out what they're doing. But don't don't program your team training to be done. We're lifting lifting weights is very important for baseball players. It should be done after practice. My guys come right from practice to see me. And of course the first question out of my mouth is what'd you do? And if they had a pitching day or they're pitching the next day or they pitch the day before before. What they're doing in the gym is to recover and prepare them. The pitcher that's off for three days, he's doing something entirely differently. So I want you to start thinking about all these things that can affect your pitcher's performance. So there are specific things that you don't do on game day, you don't do maybe the day before, and you don't do the day after. And they're all the things that could affect your pitcher's arm. So this would include all the long distance throwing, all the weighted balls, and anything that you might be doing in the gym. Does that make sense to you, Joe? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I am from the old school. I started coaching pitchers 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, we had weighted balls. 20 years ago, we had long distance throwing. Uh, 20 years ago, we had all kinds of things that are all of a sudden new again, uh, which really boggles my mind because we used all these things 20, 25, even 30 years ago, there were weighted balls and things like that. And to your point, I've used these things through the years. I've learned from science that it really isn't a good idea to use these things. And what, you know, I just want to echo what you said. Coaches, if you really want to look into these things, other than throwing the ball off a mound, if you want to look into all these other different crazy things to try to build velocity, for the look for the real research that comes from a the third party that comes from the actual scientists, not from the people who are selling you the products, because you're going to get two different, very different stories. And I may get a little flack for this, but that's that's just the way I feel. After, after being an old school coach, learning myself and going through this whole thing and, and speaking from experience, it really doesn't make too much sense to do much beyond throwing off a mound and just, you know, working on mechanics and and making sure that that you can you can get the ball from sixty feet six inches, and, and just a baseball, just a regular baseball. That's pretty much all you need to develop your velocity. You know, along with training programs and and you know working with weights and those sort of things. But I just I just wanted to say that and have my piece. Yeah, and it is what the skill is. Remember, you want to make sure you're doing the skill itself really well. You don't even add anything else in, in my opinion, until you already can do that. Because everything you do that's different than that is not doing the skill. And that's why we people who are very sports-specific minded in our training, uh, we know what needs to be accomplished first. And before I just leave the topic of the long-distance throwing um coaches if you're going to use it i don't i don't care if it's beyond 60 feet if it's 75 feet would you please watch the way your pitchers are doing it if you have a pitcher who's on the mound and let's say you see him and he's got this huge tilt of his shoulders and let's say it aggravates you and you're trying to work with it well if you send that kid out to throw long distance you're going to see a tilt of the shoulders that's increased we already know this from research when you're throwing up and over your tilt you're going to have a tilt of the shoulders he may not be a candidate for doing the long distance throwing because that's building in that mechanics so please watch the style with which they do things and see if you're seeing an error that you don't like in him on the mound being exacerbated don't be afraid to treat your pitchers differently some guys can do this some guys can't if you are doing these things that are beyond 60 feet please make sure it's apropos to that pitcher and the other thing that I want to say is 
whenever a pitcher goes beyond 60 feet, he should be using a shuffle step so that he's creating at least or having the ability to create a downward trajectory. Now, crow hop is a popular way that's been around historically for, you know, outfielders, etc., to throw. And some of them, of course, they actually use that when they throw from the outfield. But for a pitcher, a pitcher should shuffle step on any type of throwing where it requires that kind of movement. So, and that would be anything beyond 60 feet. As soon as you get to 75, you, have to, you should add the shuffle step. And the reason why I'm suggesting that you change all the crow hopping in your pitchers to shuffle step is that one of the biggest problems we have in pitching is pitchers having a problem with where their stride foot lands. And a lot of them have problems with their rear hip turning at an inappropriate time in the motion. Anytime you do a crow hop, you're crossing over your feet, you're getting hip rotation. And again, remember, everything you do is creating adaptation. Teach the pitchers, it's, it's um, excuse, yeah, it's, it's like doing a slide step, but we call it a shuffle step. So as they're doing the shuffle step, they're keeping their feet next to each other, just like they would if they were slide stepping, and, uh, but with a little more oomph to it. And now you're working more specifically to the way the hips and the feet work for a pitcher. And now you're also embedding that ability for him to feel his rear hip working correctly. Remember, whenever you twist the feet up that's really the hips twisting and the pitcher should always be working on the same in the same plane of motion that he does his skill so be careful when you deter from the actual skill itself that you do try to match or at least avoid building in habits that could cause him problems on the mound so I just wanted to throw that last thing in there Um, and I I think I want to you know I just have a few more things that I want you to start thinking about and Joe I do think this should go into a part two maybe for the next podcast because I have a lot of other thoughts rolling around in my head that I think would be useful to coaches. So uh, not wanting to make this a little drawn out. So maybe we can promise the listeners part two on this, um, dealing more specifically with the pitchers and their own needs. But just to wrap this up, a few other things. So because you know that if you're doing a solid uh, preseason throwing program and let's say some of your pitchers are going to be off this fall or whatever's going to happen they need to be picking they'll be picking up a ball sometime in November the middle of November if they're taking fall off to have a two-week flat ground program and then to go into an interval pitching program and by February 1 they're all you know they're all totally ready and conditioned for that first month of practice um so what happens a lot during this time of the season are your strength and conditioning programs. Many of you have strength and conditioning coaches that are working with your baseball teams, definitely in college and nowadays definitely in high school. 90% of the coaches that are setting up the programs are football strength and conditioning coaches. And listen, I love football training. I am a weightlifting coach, a strength coach. I would love to be giving pitchers all the great moves that I know, snatches, cleans, deadlifts all the time, all the big moves, but they're not appropriate for baseball pitchers. And If you have a strength coach that is setting up the training in the gym, number one, if he is a football coach, make sure he understands the difference. Obviously, their mentality, which I love, is that you really go for it and you bust your butt when you're in the gym. I love that mentality. Unfortunately, you can't do that with pitchers. They need to bust their butt but on things that are appropriate for them. So coaches, make sure you have conversations with your strength coaches and they understand the differences in what they need. The second thing, if you see a strength coach putting your entire team on the same strength training program, there's a problem. Pitchers should have a different program than everyone else because their needs are different and they're throwing the ball and their skill is different. Now I know when you hear this you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. 98% of the programs out there, when they send the programs out, 
they're for this they're all the same that's your first clue that the strength program could be injurious to your pitchers and a conversation with a coach a strength coach can go a long way but if you as the head coach just have a heads up on this then you can actually stay completely informed and actually inform the strength coach if he knows that this is something you're interested in and that strength coach should go out and do the research to make something more specific for pitchers and professional strength coaches like myself we usually know that but in schools the strength coach isn't private the way I am I mean I'm specialized with pitchers they have to know because for us to become strength coaches we have to know how to train every type of athlete as do I but you also have to know what to give and what not to give and sometimes they're so intrigued by their own strength moves that they want to share it with everyone and they may not completely understand that a pitcher needs to be trained differently not less hard and I'm not saying to hold back but the moves have to be different and they have to be more thought out so that is one of my uh, tips for uh, getting your fall ball you know lined up correctly especially if your emphasis is on being in the gym all right that's that's a whole lot of information and it sounds like we may have a little bit more for the next episode as well yeah and what i want to talk about in the next next episode really is that i don't want you to have a cookie cutter approach to all your pitchers each one of them is different and i want to talk about how you can determine their differences uh, and build a pitching staff around all their unique skills and then end up with a quality staff that you're going to love. And so that's what I want to talk about the next time. How? What do you do when you meet with your pitchers at the beginning of the season, which I assume is going to be happening uh, fairly soon after our next podcast. And so that's what we'll cover in the next, how to deal with the pitchers as individuals and what to ask. And I think it's going to be great. All right. I agree. This is a great teaser. And I I think that everyone is going to be really excited to hear the next episode. Angel, just to be really quick, you covered a lot in this episode. If if any coaches have any questions, can they email you? Absolutely. I get emails. And in fact, everything that I've, there's coaches right now listening and they're like shaking their head because they called me last year before fall ball and it said, how do I do it? And these are all things. So everything I talk about is already been done and it's the way we've been doing it or I've been doing it. So this isn't anything new. And the coaches always say, wow, wow, and more wow. <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, they can, you can always email me coaches. You know, I love what you do. I respect what what you do and I want to help you be better at what you do. Great. So anyone who has any questions, please email Angel directly, angel at gymscience.com. And if you're too shy to send an email, you can go to her website, gymscience.com. Okay, that's it for part one of using science to update your fall ball program. We hope it helps you make 2018 your best season ever. We'll be back in about two weeks with part two. And in the meantime, if you found this show useful, please do two things. First, Make sure you yourself have subscribed, either through your podcast player or by downloading our app. Second, please tell another coach, parent, or pitcher about our show and tell them they can find us on the iTunes App Store or on the Google Play Store by searching for Baseball Pitching the Fix. And until next time, we'll wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.